Welcome to the first of our podcast series, Immigration Detention, The Hidden Costs, brought to you by the Unchained Collective, where we will be hearing conversations between those who have spent time indefinitely detained on administrative grounds in British immigration detention centres. The aim is to raise critical awareness through the powerful voice of experience of the destructive impact of immigration detention on many levels, on individuals, families, communities and society at large. Discussions encompass the ongoing harms of being dehumanised and criminalised, the stigma and rejection individuals face upon release into the community, as well as the economic impacts of this system on individuals and society as a whole. However, these conversations importantly also demonstrate the strength and powerful resistance of those targeted by this system. A crucial question is raised. Why is this system that destroys lives, wastes public funds and fosters division in our society allowed to continue? Can we envision alternative ways of being together in our shared vulnerability? Can we build a society where everyone has the right to breathe? Ultimately, these powerful accounts serve as a collective call to action. When future books chronicle the history of systematic incarceration and torture, sometimes resulting in death, of predominantly non-white individuals for crossing borders, what role would you like to have played in that history? This is a question this podcast series compels you to ask yourself. these women and all these people that they have passed through a lot of trauma before even coming to UK so uh, kind of uh, detaining them is kind of really traumatizing them again they would be walking up and down the corridors in the night you hear their boots you know thumping on the floor you couldn't sleep because they would be taking people to deport them in the night. The whole idea of a detention system. But they didn't tell me why I was detained. It's based on past experience of colonialism. I still now don't know why they detained me. The detention made us to be alienated from each other. Nobody wanted anything to do with me because they felt I might have committed a crime. I'm being labeled as a criminal, so I don't have any freedom. The wastage of money involved in running this whole institution. And you just feel losing my identity, having to get adjusted to, you know, being called out through a number. I feel like, I mean, just a number. You are unwanted. You feel like you are really not like a human being. Everybody, men and women, to be behind bars is an economic waste, is a human waste. We need to counterbalance the negative rhetorics that are coming out there that immigrants are nothing but a burden to society. And this hatred to hate other people who are not English. Knowledge, they say, is power. Ignorance is a very big disease. They want to silence us. It takes courage for us to be here. I refuse to let their system break me. I don't want to be a victim. Rather, I want to be a victim.
Welcome to this podcast series, The Hidden Costs of Immigration Detention, brought to you by Venchain Collective. In this episode, Flower and Derek reflect on the experience of making this podcast. We hear how the process of claiming asylum and the home of these interviews re-traumatize already traumatized people how difficult it is to get mental health support when you fear it could lead to having your child taken away, and just how much courage it takes to speak out. The final appeal is for unity and the putting aside of borders and nation-state flags. Hello, um, my name is Flower. How are you doing? Ah, I'm okay. Thank you. How are you, Flower? I'm fine. Thank you, my brother. Yeah. Um, we are just going to have a conversation this morning about um, our experience regarding the podcast. So I just wanted to know, how has this experience been for you? What difficulties have you experienced through talking about your story talking about your life talking about the immigration so what has been the challenges that you face when you are being asked uh, you feel that um okay i'm a i'm an african how am i gonna put put it right mm. for him to understand and my language uh, english is my second language and that as well troubles me a lot to say, did he understand what I'm saying? Or I'm just, they will say, oh, just yeah, he's creating these things. It never happened. You know, all these things, uh, I feel uh, maybe uh, uh, I don't know how to put it right in words. Wow, it's, it's, it's definitely difficult. Um, as for me, before making the podcast, few days before, I I was restless. I didn't know what um, to expect. I didn't know if people were going to believe me. Um, I felt a bit guilty that uh, maybe I'm going to take people's time. They just or they're just going to put me at the back burner, or they're going to think that I'm not resilient enough. Um, I also had to question myself about um, what what is my employer going to say? Is is she going to say that um, I'm still healing or I'm not fit? Um, I thought about other people making complaints about me making a podcast. Maybe it's unprofessional. I thought about my self-esteem. I thought about maybe life is better without talking <laughs> so all this thought came i thought about living in trauma is it something that people are going to believe there was a lot of thoughts maybe if my son gets to listen to it what is he going to think of his mother yes are they going to understand my accent um, am i going to make errors and i felt frightened about being george so there was a lot of things that came to my mind and yeah, and the memories of all the trauma that we've been through and, and sometimes giving the accurate 
answers to questions is, is so challenging because you don't know what they want to hear from you. Yeah, so, yeah, it's been hard. So for you, what happens to your memory? I remember we had a chat some time ago and you spoke about your brain freezes when you're being asked questions. It, can you explain a little bit more about that? Because I think mine does as well. So I just want to hear about the emotions that are behind your brain freezing. When I'm being asked, I feel because I grew up with this fear uh, that I'm not really comfortable when I'm being asked about myself because it triggers my childhood. When this woman is asking me, I see my auntie. I was abused, sexual abuse by my auntie. It makes things hard and I'm still trying to be strong about it. But memories don't die. They're still there. I feel uh, that you are interrogating me and I, I don't know what to, to say. Or you want to, to trick me with your questions. And that's what they used to do when I was young. And then they used to trick me, say, oh, you are a liar. Why did you lie? And then you're being uh, beaten, you know. So I feel all those things will come like it's haunting me. And um, instead of uh, reporting exactly what you have asked from me, I feel that um, this person, if I tell, how is he going to look at me? How, 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 how is he thinking about me? Oh, poor, poor man, he was abused. And they, all that, it will be ringing in my mind. I think something will change or you look me you look at me different and uh, uh, i fear for that and uh, as i'm thinking of so many things in my mind okay. I, I end up not knowing what to say and then uh my my, my mind just freezes and I, I can't i can't spill out i can't say anything you know it just freezes i'm glad to say that because um growing up we have a different culture. We have, it, it's, it's so hard to um, be able to, to put the two cultures together because you are talking based on your experience, based on your childhood trauma, and that trauma carried on up to, to this, this place. And when I reflect, I think back about my own experience childhood experience I wasn't allowed to talk and look at adults in the eyes so that that grew up with me that made me not to be confident enough so um sometimes even when I explain myself I feel that I'm not being understood and I have to use my hands to reinforce what I'm saying I have to speak a bit louder because I feel that it's not being understood and Yes, and I have that frightened me for not because I don't want to use the wrong words and be punished later. So there's a lot of things to consider in my brain when I want to pass a message. So yeah, it's it's hard. It's well, another another thing. Do you think if questions were simplified to you, 
um, than somebody saying so many things with so many new words at the same time. And does that confuse you more? Yes, it does. For the fact that when I was growing up, I, I didn't have conversation with someone like a, just a conversation, just to talk about anything else. Like a, uh, children whom I grew up with back home uh, in that farm, yes, they used to come in maybe with playing football, you know, uh, that plastic uh, football, which it was homemade thing, once in a blue moon. But most of the time I used to keep myself to myself. I wasn't used to have a, a conversation with someone. When an adult comes to me to talk to me, it was like a, they are commanding me to do something. I, I didn't have any conversation with that person because they are telling me what to do. And I grew up with that thing in my mind you don't challenge you just do what you're being told to do so now to have a conversation when you ask me a question now i don't know what to answer i know what is right and what is bad but i don't know exactly what you want and then i don't know what you want me to say because i'm afraid to say the wrong things you know even if i know the the answer but i can't say it because of the fear which i grew up with Mm -hmm. So that fear mm -hmm. dominated my life. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it, it, it takes me back mm -hmm. when I was a child. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Wow. Yes. That holding a conversation is so difficult with, from where we're coming from. It's been, um, they've been dictating. So um, being in a position to even hold a conversation with friends, sometimes it's so challenging because when somebody says, hello, how are you doing? You can just answer them. I'm fine, thank you. And you wouldn't know what to ask because you've not practiced any of that. And exactly. Another thing I was thinking about, you know, when I was in detention, I was sent a letter by the Home Office saying that I have an asylum interview. When I saw that letter, it reminded me of so many things of the past and I, I wasn't sure what they wanted. I was very scared to say some certain things, maybe because I didn't know if it was going to destroy my asylum claim or it was going to um, make them deport me straight away without even thinking. So the second I saw the immigration officer, I was, I was lost. He was asking questions. I remember just looking at him and staring for a few seconds. Not, not saying anything, just that brain freezes. You know what you said about your brain just freezing? I'm looking at him like that and I'm thinking, he's much older than me. I don't want to say anything that is not right. I don't want to lie. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm posting so many things at the same time. And fear takes over, panic, anxiety. And then I can't remember dates. I can't remember the years that anything happens. And he's asking me those questions and he wants some specific answers. And, and the minute you, if you take longer to answer those questions, it feels as if you're lying. And then at the same time, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, oh, I made a mistake there. 
how do I correct it? And I'm scared and I'm thinking to myself, he is not going to believe me anymore if I say anything any from here. I think that the asylum interview is over. So these are my thought processes. I'm sitting there. He doesn't know what I'm thinking. I know that it's over. I know I've already failed. And then I start crying and he's, he's looking at me and what I'm thinking that he's saying, oh, she's making up this tears again because she wants to stay in the country. And I would have loved it if they would give people who have gone through trauma the chance to be themselves and they give a benefit of doubt to anyone who is going through the situation, just benefit of doubt to say he might be saying the truth. But I don't think I felt I was given the opportunity to be myself while seeking asylum. I wasn't. I was scared. I was panicking and everything I said. And all the questions that he asked, it was just around, oh, why didn't you do this? You you were abused and then you, you stayed in that same country for that long. And he wanted me to say, this happened to me today and the next day I was put in the flight. It's hard. It's not easy for anyone to f- just flee the country. You, you have to 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 raise money, your parents, family members, they have to sell properties. There are so many things that happen and no one understands that part of the story. We have to be realistic. We are coming from very, very poor countries and our families don't have the means to do any of that. And the the fact that we are poor, that is the main reason why we are being abused because the rich ones are not going through what we're going through. So how did you feel? Maybe I'm talking too much, but how did you feel? Sorry. Yeah, it's frightening when you are being asked such questions, especially by the Home Office, and we are still in detention. The man came, an elder person, asked me about a question. He was very fast, and he was very fast writing. When I was trying to think about question A, he was on question C, and that confuses me a lot because it was fast for me and um, if you are being asked by people who have never been in that situation of immigration because they don't know they have never felt it in in real life Mm -hmm. so it's so hard when they come to you and when they ask you these questions I've got a fear to make a mistake because this is life and death Mm -hmm. you know this is real and how do I put a, a cross to him or her how I've suffered? You know, for example, I was in, in detention. And um, yeah, one week, they didn't ask me anything. And they didn't tell me why I was detained. Two weeks, I, I, you know, my mental status just from zero to to 50 and and I was having this panic attack and then I started banging my head against the the wall you know they'll come with a different story when they come to me they ask me this did uh, one of your parents suffering from mental health or because they're reading or not and they're not telling you why they are doing that and you wonder where did they get that information from without asking me. And now you're stuck panicking worse. You're being traumatized from another trauma to another extreme. And you end up not knowing exactly what they want. 
sometimes they said, oh, so such a day you said this, so such a day uh, you went to this and you said this. You know, because they come with the question equipped and we are not, because we don't know what you expect from them. Mm -hmm. Very correct, yeah. So the, uh, actually I can say the home office itself, they are the one who traumatize people and then you ever, we end up having that fear because they will frighten uh, frighten you and they don't look at you and they uh, when we are trying to answer the question to say oh it happens there okay and why did you do that you know you don't even finish the question you are being traumatized already I find it hard for me mm. yes uh, my experience with that the detention and the home office it was it's like a a mental torture, a continuous mental torture, because as you settle down today, you get that letter saying you have to leave the country because you've not provided these details, these details, and that detail. So you are forced now to contact people outside. And when you contact those people outside, they turn against you because now they know the gravity of what you're going through. They know that you can be deported and they don't want to be deported with you. So then you you are left alone because even having a lawyer is a slow process and you need to get the right legal firm to, to support you to do that legal aid. And everything is so difficult and then your mental state is deteriorating. I remember just being in the room and I was ready that day because my son was waiting for me outside. I remember just saying to myself that there's no there's no reason for being on earth. There's no reason for even being here. And but when the mental health team, when they asked me questions, I was also pre-warned by so many people that if you go and say that you want to commit suicide, you have to also remember that they will take your child away from you. You have to remember that um, they will deport you anyway because you're going to be useless to the community, you're not going to be useful. So there's all of that. The reality is there. And most often you do everything within your own capacity to give them what they want instead of facing your reality. So from the mental health team, I had to deny that I, I, I don't feel like committing suicide, but it was there. So why was it there? Because for one, when I left prison, I thought I was going to go to my son. Um, I gave so many addresses, they didn't believe me. So I had to find a friend who had a British husband. That is the only way they believed me. And they had to they had to bail me because there was a British person involved. And but before that, I had no hope, no hope of even leaving because the Home Office kept sending their letters saying, oh, you're going to be deported with your son together. And, and I'm saying to myself, deported where? I don't have anywhere to go to. And then when those thoughts take over and my son is crying on the other end on the phone, he's crying, mommy, when are you coming back? You, you, you told me that you've been home by December and now this is March. What are you doing, mommy? And a child is crying in your ears and you're there helpless. And the officers, all they do is they start monitoring you very closely. Um, they monitor you and they make you feel as if you are committing a crime for feeling that way. And they start searching your things to remove 
if there's any object that you're going to use to commit suicide. So they are aware that we are going through trauma, but there's not enough help because somebody who is traumatized needs kindness, needs love, needs a peaceful mind. And all of that, I think if they are working as a team from the home office to the mental health to circle, all of those people in detention, they were working together. I think they need to actually look at this bigger picture to support us as individuals because even when you're eating, you can't eat properly because you're thinking about what is what is the home office making of your case. So yes, it's just, it's too much, but we keep living. We are still here. Yeah. So what would you say are your thought about this podcast if it's successful how are you going to feel if maybe there's a positive reaction from the government out of this podcast is that going to help you feel as if it was worth it are you going to feel happy about what you've shared um yes if it's gonna be positive from the home office it will be a new chapter for me uh, to be accept, accepted by the system, to live in the community safely without any fear. Yeah, I'll be happy if things change to open a new chapter. Yeah, to me, I would say I'll be extremely happy and I will. I feel that if many people in the community come together and listen to this podcast and support us, it starts from your neighbor looking out for you, asking, how are you? That is acceptance. That is what I want to see after this podcast. I want to see them looking at me like a human being and saying, you are welcome. That's what I want. I, I don't want anymore. I don't, I don't want them to keep judging me because things are getting more difficult. Everything is expensive. Why don't we just rebuild this society? Why don't we be united why don't you put aside colors countries mm. prejudice i just pray that we can all get together and make it work we can talk more we can express ourselves more we can support ourselves more it doesn't matter where we are but i believe that we can do it if we are united and we we can feel in our hearts that we are being believed when we say these things our stories are not wasted. So then that will be, for me, that will be my point of happiness. Yes. I'll be so happy because this podcast, the driving force for us to do this and to open up for what we have gone through. I've learned to say something. It has been a tough time. We are grateful to, you know, listen to your experience. And yes, we are in it together. Well done. Thank you so much. Thank you too.